What excites us and inspires us is the, the transformation that's happening across Africa. I'm Caroline Kendi-Robb, I'm the Executive Director of the Africa Progress Panel. Warm greetings and welcome to Power People, a new podcast series from the Africa Progress Panel. The Africa Progress Panel consists of 10 distinguished individuals from the private and public sector who advocate for equitable and sustainable development for Africa. Kofi Annan chairs the panel and is closely involved in its day-to-day -day work. The other panel members are Michel Kamdesu, Peter Eigen, Bob Geldof, Grasa Machel, Strive Masiwa, Lina Moholo, Olushigo Obasanjo, Robert Rubin and Tijan Chiam. I'm Max Bankale Jarrett, the director in charge of the APP Secretariat and also your host for this podcast series. In each episode of the series, we'll be discussing a range of issues linked to the 2015 Africa Progress Report, Power, People, Planet, Seizing Africa's Energy and Climate Opportunities, which sets out a path to the energy transformation that Africa needs. The Power, People, Planet Report calls for a tenfold increase in power generation in Africa by 2030. Why? Well, because the need for modern energy in Africa is so, so urgent. Here are some stark facts. 621 million Africans currently live without access to electricity. And sadly, 600,000 die each year from household air pollution, simply because they rely for cooking on biomass. Throughout this Power People podcast series, I speak to individuals who are working to address this challenge by focusing on the opportunities that currently exist in Africa to, so to speak, power the future now. My guest in this edition is Caroline Kende Robb. Now, Caroline, you've been working in the energy field for a couple of years now, researching, advocating, and doing all kinds of things in that field. What really excites you and inspires you about where Africa is right now as far as energy is concerned? Well, it's a, that's a really, really good question because I think most people look at the situation of energy in Africa and would feel very negative. And one of the critical statistics is that 621 million people in Africa don't have access to, to modern energy. So that is really quite a challenge. But what excites us and inspires us is the, the transformation that's happening across Africa. And what we are seeing is that this sector is about to be disrupted and is in fact already being disrupted. We saw this happening in telecoms and, and it really wasn't expected. And that really did change a lot of people's lives in a very positive way in Africa. What's happening now is that we can see the same kind of disruption happening in a sector that really hasn't changed for over a hundred years since the first grids were laid. And we can see so many different things happening, but it needs to happen quicker, it needs to happen in an equitable way, and it needs to happen with greater support from different partners. Caroline, you're in an interesting position, interesting situation, because you are a non-African working on African issues and some detail. What is it do you think as far as energy is concerned that Africa can teach the rest of the world and what also Africa should be learning right now from the rest of the world as far as energy is concerned? 
Um, yeah, that's a that's an uh, an interesting way of of, of framing framing the the issue, um, because I think for me, um, as a non-African, Africa is global. I mean, you know, it's important for you know people who are from different continents to work in Europe. It's important for for people from different continents to work in Asia. And the same is for Africa. I mean, it's it's important for the globe. It's uh, the globe is learning from Africa. I learn every day from Africa, and it's about just mixing different skills and and learning from different people and different parts of the world. So I don't think anybody has a monopoly on on Africa. Um, you know, uh, I used to work for the World Bank, and that used to be very expert ridden from the outside. That is a complete a complete model that 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 really does not work now. And we've seen time and time again that um, ideas come from within and ideas come from outside and it's about mixing them together. So with energy, we can see a lot of really um, exciting ideas coming from outside, but also emerging from inside. And what we're seeing across the continent in many different countries is what we are terming as energypreneurs just for an example. And these are incredible people who are just trying to get energy to the market, energy to people who need it, power to the people who need it. So it could be somebody importing solar panels. It could be these really interesting solar household systems where you can get access to light. Um, but we certainly know there's a demand out there. Now, once you have this model, how do you pay for it? And this is when the, you get that really interesting nexus between the energy disruption and the telecom disruption as well. So people are paying in some countries for access to power over their phones. So this makes the whole um, situation of access much easier. What's different, though, about the entrepreneurs who are looking at energy now, who are investing in different ways in energy now than people in the past who were looking to invest in, in energy in Africa? One can never do this sector justice by, by sitting here having this, this interview. Even, even now, I'm, I'm really conscious of all the, the, the dimensions and dynamics that I will, I will never be able to, to be able to share with you. Um, so... On the one hand, we have these solar household systems who are, which are uh, able to give access, you know, very simple first step access to, to light, which is essential. Um, but on the other hand, Africa also needs big power to transform. And then you have the whole spectrum of mini grids, um, you know, hydro, solar, wind, gas, coal. So there's a whole melange of choice, a whole big energy mix that Africa faces that can be delivered in so many different ways than it ever has been before. Um, so what we're seeing, the traditional way of getting access to power through the grid will no longer be the only way. And we will see that consumers will become producers. So you get this uh, kind of changing role. So whereas before, I, I sit, for example, in my country, and I sit there and I'm a very passive consumer. I'm not empowered at all. The electricity somehow comes to my house. I've no idea how it comes there. I pay my bill, and that's it, finish. You know. 
But what we're seeing in, in, in Africa, and we will see in other countries, because even in the States now, that's been disrupted too, because there's this big rise of mini-grids, which gives a very, very different dynamic. In Africa, we're seeing consumers who are becoming producers. If you've got your solar power on your, on your hut or on your house, you are actually a, a producer as well as a consumer. As choice changes, people will become empowered to make a choice about what suits their needs. The size of the system, maybe you just want light, maybe you want ele electricity to power a fridge, maybe you want greater access to electricity to start a small business. And so the, the spectrum of choice will be much bigger too. So there's all these different aspects where this sector is being disrupted. And how important is policy and regulation in all this? Because there are people who say that the technology is there, the finance is there in terms of the global context, but in many cases in Africa or in parts of Africa, the policies are not right and regulations are not right or the environment in, in that sense is not correct. What's your perspective on that? Well, I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges. Um, what we see at the moment is that the energy sector is dominated by utilities and our, our panel members are quite vocal on the need for greater transparency in African utilities, especially, in fact, uh, Grasa Michelle. And she feels that this is a very important part of um, enabling the sector to function better. So a lot of the utilities that aren't very transparent and not very efficient um, means that they are unable to encourage investment. So this is one of the biggest problems, uh, a trusted off-taker. So I think that part needs to be better tackled. The next part that needs to be looked at is how do you regulate all these new fantastic innovations without um, you know, undermining or taking away the ability to innovate and create. And we see, for example, in, in Ghana, there's um, households that have solar panels and they want to give this extra energy back to the grid and they could do that technically, but there is, there's no policy framework to enable that to happen. That's just one example of where the technology and innovation is ahead of the regulation. So I think we'll see that across Africa, but ultimately, I think the government needs to be able to have greater transparency. Uh, people need to have more confidence in the utility and in the environment itself. Only then will more investors come in. And just just a quick footnote here. We, we were talking to investors and they had said to us, we're happy to invest in telecoms because I reach my customer. But if I want to invest in the energy sector, I can't reach the customer. I have to go through the utility. And that is making me nervous and therefore I'm not investing. So there is a big question mark about the role of the utilities. Now, in 2015, there was a lot of attention on the Paris Climate Conference. Regarding policy issues, what has inspired you since the Paris Agreement was signed? So on, on Paris, I think um, this is a very critical part of, of the, the, the jigsaw, as it were, for, for energy. And this is why you can't talk about energy access in Africa without talking about the global climate challenge. So the, the route that Africa will take 
transitioning to low carbon is in fact an essential part of the global picture. In short, I think COP21 realised the importance of supporting Africa's low carbon transition. It will not be easy. And um, what the report says of our panel, the Africa Progress Panel last year, which was called Power People Planet, was that um, essentially Africa contributes very little to the global carbon emissions. right? And as such, should be able to exploit all the energy different choices that it has, even coal. But at the same time, if possible, to move away from coal, and it is possible. So it's about exploiting the energy mix that's the most appropriate to the country at that moment in time, but having a longer-term view. Um, so what was encouraging about COP21 was a realisation, because there's a huge market in Africa, and if the investments are all in high carbon, that will have a massive global impact. So it was encouraging to see that there was a global recognition of the need to ensure that Africa's low carbon transition is supported by other countries who, quite frankly, have contributed the greatest to climate change. It's the least that they can do. Uh, at the same time, it was super encouraging to see the very, very um, organised and credible, loud African collective vision of what climate change means for African countries. And what we heard was that Africa at COP21 didn't want to go with a begging bowl in hand, as all the other COPs have been the case, but would actually frame the message very clearly that the situation in Africa is one of opportunity. It's a great market. 621 million people want access to energy. It's a great market. It's about exploiting that market. It's about being innovative. It's about driving and leading a low-carbon transition. But everybody has to play their role because this is a global public good. Africa's energy market can be a global public good if managed correctly. And has anything disappointed you since Paris? So I think what was very exciting about Paris, just be before I come on to the disappointment bit, what was very exciting about Paris was the agreement. And I think uh, Cristiana Figueres did a, an incredible job of getting that collective realisation of the urgency of the issue. And we really, from COP21, saw clearly the road of travel. And I think there was some kind of agreement behind, yes, this is a road we have to take. But the challenge is the speed of that travel. And I would say, I, I myself and, and uh, the Africa Progress Panel, we still feel very concerned about the speed of that travel. We don't think it's happening quickly enough. We still don't see the money getting to where it should be. There's a lot of um, dragging of feet as far as financing is concerned. Climate financing, which we clearly stated in the report Power People Planet, has failed. Um, it's very complicated to, to get access to. It takes a very long time. Um, it will tie you up in knots. It, it just sucks the capacity out of African governments. And ultimately, the money you get is very, very small. So at the moment, it's, it's not working. The finance is not working. The commitment, though, to do something about climate is there. So overall, it's, it's, a, it's a great situation to be in. But the speed and urgency now has to really, really um, pick up. Now I want to turn to a question that I'm asking every single 
interviewee in this series, and that's this. If you had 30 seconds, or say, I'll give you 45 seconds, to convince an African head of state of the urgency of advancing the energy agenda in their country and across the African continent right now, what would your message be, Caroline Kende Rob? <laughs> so one of the, the most important things to underline is that this is a this is a great opportunity for their country's transformation. So without energy, everything else is at a disadvantage. It could be your health, it could be your education, it could just be your uh, industrialization, it's your small scale enterprise. Everything it's like the it's like the hidden the hidden glue of society. That's if it's not there, it's very difficult to advance. So that's a message that I would first of all give heads of state. But I would also have a footnote, which I may or may not give to some heads of state, but is a little bit of a reality check when when we talk about opportunity, which which we truly believe and we really see is being seized. So I'm just going to go into a slightly a bit more of a negative side of things, but then I'll come back to the positive, which I'm in the elevator with the head of state. But I really just wanted to underline this little bit of a, a wake-up call. I believe that this, this lack of energy access in Africa has become a political imperative. And I say that because what we are hearing across Africa is that this is a problem for everybody. This is a problem if you are rich. So the rich in the country, in many of these countries, are not happy. They're not happy because they have to use their diesel generators. They're noisy, they're expensive, and they pollute. So people are not happy about that. So the rich are feeling very frustrated. The middle class, they're not happy. They're trying to start their enterprises, they're trying to get their, their lives off the ground. They start their enterprises and then they have power that may be interrupted. This is a disaster for small-scale enterprises which are often very fragile. And finally, if we look at the, the poor, they're very unhappy. They don't have access to power, they don't have access to electricity, and they want it and they need it. So this is really ultimately a political imperative. But what we're seeing across Africa is a realisation of that imperative and the realisation of that opportunity. So many of the heads of state and the heads of government across Africa are now stating much greater ambition than ever before, than even 18 months ago. And we can see this as a result of this incredible momentum that has begun to pick up. And this has very much been spearheaded and led by the African Development Bank with the President Akin Adesina, who has his high five priorities, of which energy, light up and power Africa is his number one priority. And we see many, many partners coming into this space now. So ultimately, for a head of state, the partners are in place and it's a great time to seize this opportunity. And what's really the role of the Africa Progress Panel in all of this? Because it's a small organisation, of course, led by a very influential uh, global figure, Mr. Kofi Annan, but it doesn't have millions of dollars. It doesn't have a huge team. It's not a political organisation. What really is the APP's role in advancing this agenda? What the APP does through its uh, panel members is try and put a spotlight on critical policies. It, the panel is in a, a unique position in that, they, that they're very independent. They're an independent global voice. And they have access to different 
stakeholders. So it could be a head of state, it, it could be in Africa, it could be in, this, in the United States or in, in Brazil or in Europe or in Asia. And therefore, a lot of the work is done in a discreet way to highlight issues that are often very, very sensitive. Or it could be a head of a corporation, a head of a CEO, again, that play a very big role in, in, in trying to look at the issues surrounding energy and climate. So really, the Africa Progress Panel tries to do two things. It tries to bring together the latest and the most cutting edge analysis and say it in a way that's not constrained because of the independence of the panel. And therefore, the reports that have been put out by the Africa Progress Panel are quite compelling because nothing is hidden, nothing is held back. So we have the reports. And then the second part of the, part of the Africa Progress Panel is really the influencing policy. So if you have good data, you have good analysis, you have cutting edge uh, analytical work where the best minds of the world are really helping this small organization. And then you take that out and you take those messages at the top level, even at different levels, including influencing different organizations at the country level because ultimately changing policy is very, very complicated. Our comparative advantage is with people at the highest level, but we don't stop there. We try and ensure that our messages are shared as widely as possible with a great number of networks that we have the prev privilege of being part of. Now, I'm very pleased by the fact that APP now has over a million followers on Facebook. And I'm also especially pleased that 75% of these followers are under the age of 35. Caroline, what's your message to those young people? They're not political leaders, yet most of them. They're not in positions where they can actually necessarily influence change, but they're interested in the work of APP. They want a better Africa. What's your message to them? I think um, what we have seen across the African continent for, for many of the people who are under 35 is this incredible innovation. And um, it's in such contrast to other continents. You can see the, 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 the imagination, the innovation, the, the incredible determination that really is um, inspiring. It's inspiring to see change happen in circumstances that are incredibly challenging. And so that is something that we, we try and focus on and to, to, to illustrate examples of this in, in incredible innovation that, as you mentioned right at the beginning, the world can learn from. So that, that's one side. So I, I, I am learning from, from the, the, the youth uh, of Africa, and I think many of us can do. At the same time, this is, a, this is really um, a, a time to constantly demand better accountability, better transparency, better leadership, because the resources are there. Africa is a rich continent, as Mr. Nan says, a rich continent that happens to be full of many poor people, is what he says, and, he, and, and it's absolutely right. Money's there, resources are there, people are there, young people are there. It requires leadership, and can young I, people can help drive better leadership and better accountability. Excuse me, Caroline, for just being a bit direct here. 
I'm 17 years old. I'm in Painesville, Monrovia. I like APP. There's no light in my area. I like reading the reports, which I find online. I download them to my phone. I'm listening to Caroline now. But Caroline, what's your message to me? Well, I, I'm I'm reluctant to to kind of <laughs> give a, a a message um, because it's a two it's a dialogue it's always a dialogue. But what I would say, which is a message that I would give um, give many people, is the importance of starting with local government and and just starting to talk to to people who have uh, control over certain things at the neighbourhood level. And, um, you know, this is what we do in my community when we're part of the council in the community. And it's about supporting these local government structures. That's the beginning. That's the beginning. We can all do that in our own way. It's just a local government. People think they don't want to be involved in local government. People say it's boring. It's not boring. It starts locally. And then just to talk amongst groups of people to share your concerns. And then just the, this incredible network. So local communities, local government, and then reach out nationally, pan-African, globally, because there's many people in that situation. So collective action really, really would be a very, very good way to start to try and change things. It's tough, it's difficult, I know, but that's, that's, a, that's what I would like to share. Not putting you on the spot, but uh, so I should just, I can download infographics and I can go to a town hall meeting or council meeting saying, APP is saying it's doable. And so, Mr. Mayor, can you maybe look into it? Is, is that what you're saying? Yes. Thank you, Caroline. <laughs> You've been listening to an episode of Power People, a podcast series production of the Africa Progress Panel Secretariat. I am Max Bankale Jarrett. My co-producer and studio manager on this podcast series is Dan Graham. For more information on the work of Kofi Annan and his colleagues on the Africa Progress Panel, please visit our website at www.africaprogresspanel.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at at Africa Progress. And please do join our growing community of over 1 million supporters on Facebook. We really look forward to engaging with you as we continue to actively promote and highlight the myriad opportunities in Africa to power the future now. Forward ever and all the best.